Well, open your Bibles to the uh, book of Ephesians. We'll begin in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, last week what we were talking about is uh, how to turn the world upside down uh, for Christ. And what that required from us is to be on fire for the Lord, to have a burning passion within our soul that just can't hold back the preaching of the gospel in order to really make a difference in the community. We must be on fire in order to do that. Also requiring a unified body of believers to, to, uh, to be, to be um, set together in order to carry out that great work. And then also it requires us to be fully committed to that work, to com- completely and totally sold out for Christ for the purpose of his will to be done in the lives of our own and as well as the impact and community around us. Now today what I'm going to, well last week what I was hoping to do is to maybe, burn, maybe start a little fire burning in you. And then this week, I'm going to tell you something that's really, really exciting. This is a really exciting message. I'm excited about the opportunity of being able to preach it. It's something that just really kind of came alive to me as I was going through preaching this. And the title of our sermon this morning, it is the exceeding greatness. That is green. That's on, right? There we go. That's not it. Yeah. Did I push the wrong button again? There we go. I've got more control over this than I think. I'll just pull up that next slide if you can. Okay, as he's pulling it up, but just trust me, the title is The Exceeding Greatness of God's Power. Okay, the exceeding greatness of God's power is something I think that we really need to take a look at and have an understanding about what that power really is. Now, when we look at the world around us, we see the universe that we can observe, you know, from our little small dot in the universe called Earth. And we can look at the vastness of it, the size of it. And you can see the amount of energy that we can actually look at and see. I mean, just think about the amount of energy that the sun puts on the Earth every day, day in and day out. And then the, the amount of the source of power that just the sun has. And then we look across the entire known universe to us and we can just see there are some very powerful forces out there that we can observe. Now that took a great and powerful God and creator to make that. If you really think about how much power does it require to one, to make something out of nothing and to make something as big as the universe we see out of absolutely nothing. And how much energy does it take to take a planet and push it along to get it moving in orbit. There's a lot of energy, a lot of power that requires that to happen. You know, he pushed our planet and we are, we are soaring through the sky at about 6,000 miles per hour. That's an amazing force to make that happen and it's been going on since the beginning of time. But I want you to, so it's a great expression of the very power of God, would you agree? We serve and we have a great creator who has exercised an incredible amount of power in the creation of the universe. He is so powerful. But what we're going to be talking about today is the exceeding greatness of his power. And if we take a look, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And we're going to read through 23, and then we're going to back up, and we're going to take a look at a few different things as we go through this. So starting in verse 15, it says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, the revelation in the knowledge of him, 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So as we go back and take a look over what we just read, as we start to kind of break this down a little bit, what we see is that, that, um, that Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and here he's making mention. He says, therefore, also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, it moved him to not cease to give thanks for them continually and making mention of them in their prayers. And he lists a few different things here for which he was praying for the church of Ephesus. He lists about three things. And it says, one, that the God of your Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, one, may give you the spirit of wisdom, the revelation of, of the knowledge in him. And lastly, the, th the last thing he said is that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. He's, he made mention of these three things. He said, I want you to know I pray for these three things for you. And the last thing that he said is that the eyes may of your understanding be enlightened. He expounds on the things that he desires that would be enlightened to the church of Ephesus. And he goes on to say, and he lists three more things. The things that he wants them to be enlightened on is that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which is a great thing to really be enlightened about. Would you agree? Very intriguing. And then the second thing he talks about is that your eyes of your understanding may be enlightened to what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. To sit back and to really think and to be enlightened of the inheritance that we have as the children of God whenever we step into an eternity and we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and will last for an eternity. Oh, how wonderful that would be. At the, if the, if the eyes of our understanding were enlightened to what that is and the things for which we have to look forward to. But in verse 19, what he goes on to say, he's saying in verse 19 is that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened to what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So the last thing that he's talking about, and then he goes on and he expounds for several verses after this, describing what the succeeding greatness of the power of God that has been exercised towards us who believe. He goes on and he starts to describe this in detail and give us like examples of the exceeding greatness. Now I want you to understand there is no limits to God's power. There is no limits to an infinite God. His power is far beyond what we could even imagine. And once we imagine something even beyond what we could comprehend, his power is so much more than that. There is no limit to God's power. But what he is saying here is that there is an exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So what he's saying, in comparison to all the powerful things that God has exercised, all of the powerful works that have been done in the past, the exceeding greatness of God's power is to those who believe. Think about that. He has cranked up the dial of his power to the highest it's ever been. And it says here that Paul is wanting them to have the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened to what is the exceeding greatness 
of, the, of his power towards us who believe. The exceeding greatness of God's power. So what is this? Power. You know, what is the exceeding greatness of power? And how is it manifested towards his believers? What is the greatness of this power? Are there any examples that we can look at? Can we see the exceeding greatness of the power of God by the work of his mighty hands? Well, he goes on to um, describe some, some manifestations of this exceeding greatness of the power of God. We're talking about very high level of power. No other level of power has ever been matched to the exceeding greatness of the exercise of God's power except what we're about to read here. In verse 19, going into verse 20, it says, And what is that exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, the working of his mighty power in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The exceeding greatness of the very power of God is what was required in order to raise Jesus Christ from being dead, being crucified, being put in the grave for three days, and to bring him to life. If we look at creation, we think, man, that is an awesome power that is exercised. Well, the exceeding greatness of God's power is what was required in order to raise Jesus Christ from death unto life. The exceeding greatness of power. Do you know why people um, refuse to believe that the resurrection actually happened? Because it cannot be explained by the natural forces of our world. It cannot be explained by any force of nature that we can understand. It is simply by a supernatural, miraculous working of the hand of God using his exceeding greatness of his power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And the second thing that we see here is not only did he raise Jesus Christ from the dead, but we're still in verse 20. It said he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. He has promoted Jesus Christ to the position as his right hand at the very throne of God. And this is the description of that position to which he was promoted. Far above all principalities, far above all power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. Now, how is it that he's able to be promoted to such a level? You know, in order, for, in order for you to be promoted to a certain level, the person who's promoting you has to be what? At that level or higher, correct? Now, a lot of you know I train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I'm a brown belt. Black belt's my next. Is it possible for a white belt to promote me to black? No, absolutely not, right? Because he's not at that level, He's not at a level higher than I am in order to bring me up to his level, is he? So you have to understand, so if God is able to exalt his son Jesus Christ above all principality, all power, above all names, anything that we could possibly imagine and lift him and exalt him above all of those things, we have to understand that that is only by the working of the exceeding greatness of God's power who created all things in order to lift his son above all things. The exceeding greatness of God's power raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we also see that it was also exercised in exalting his son to the right hand of the Father. It's only by a great and mighty power that that can be done. In verse 22, not only did he exalt him, but he also put all things under his feet. So not only has he been raised above all things, all principality, all power, might, and dominion in every name, but God has put everything into subjection to Jesus Christ. 
Now, God has the exceeding uh, power to make that happen because he created all things. Therefore, he can subject all things to under whoever he pleases. And he put all things under subjection to Jesus Christ. And the last thing that we see here is that he also put things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Isn't that an amazing leader that God has put over us? We have a leader that has been, who was once dead, who was raised from the grave, has been exalted to the high places, and everything has been put into subjection under him, and God has placed him to be the head of a church. That's our leader. Does that, make, does that kind of bring some light whenever Jesus said, all authority has been given to me both in heaven and in earth, therefore go and make disciples? Yes, we have a great God and creator, a great powerful God, and only by the hand of an almighty powerful God could do with Jesus what God has done. That the God the Father could do with his son, Jesus Christ. His exceeding greatness of power was exercised whenever Jesus was raised from the dead and when he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. But the question is, is what verse 19 says, well, that's great. He did that with Jesus Christ, right? He did that with his son Jesus. But verse 19 tells us that we need to have the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened to what is that exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believes. Would you like to know what that is? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked because Paul continues he continues, he first gives an example of this exceeding greatness of the power of God being exercised in his son's death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation to his position in which he is, and now being the head over the church. But he continues in the description of this exceeding greatness of the power of God in you. In, verse, in chapter 2, he continues describing this exceeding greatness of power. But the question is, is he... When it comes to that power being exercised to believers, we understand that Jesus was raised from the dead and he was exalted. We could probably ask the question, have we been raised from the dead? Have we been ex exalted to the right hand of the Father? Well, let's see what Paul continues on to say. So how has it been manifested towards us? How has this power been manifested towards us. All right, we've answered the question as far as what is that exceeding greatness of power. So now we're going to see is how has the power been manifested to us? How has God exercised this exceeding greatness of power towards us who believe? Well, very much in the same way to begin with in, verse, in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I want you to understand, folks, if we have trusted Christ as our personal Savior, we have been raised from death into everlasting life. As we go on and read, listen to what it's talking about. This is talking about us. In which you once, according, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves by the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by the nature of children of wrath, just as the others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. That is the exceeding greatness of the very power of God being exercised to his believers. 
We were once dead in our sins, and we are now being made alive through the work of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that there's no work that we could possibly do to conjure up enough energy and power in order to make ourselves right with God. But we have to have an understanding this is the exceeding greatness of God's power being exercised on those who believe. This is where the dial has been cranked up higher than it has ever been in past or present or future. The dial has been cranked up to the highest level. And in order for you to become dead to life by giving your sins forgiven and, having your, and, and, and be granted eternal life and forgiveness requires the exceeding greatness of God's power. And all who have believed in Christ Jesus have experienced the exceeding greatness of the power of God on your life. Because it can, it, it's the only thing that can save us, the only thing that can redeem us, is the work of God himself. The only thing that can possibly do that. And if you think about it, the exceeding greatness of God's power is what is required for us to be redeemed. The exceeding greatness of his power. And we looked about and we talked about how the universe was created and how much power and energy that that must have required, which that goes to tell us. And we can have an understanding about the, the debt of sin that we had that separated us from God and how far away from God that we are that it required his exceeding greatness of his power in order for us to be brought from death unto life. If you think about it this way, Think about how, how much power it required to create the universe. Let's just say we can take all of the energy, all of the power, all of the forces of nature, bring them together, concentrate them for one purpose, which is to make you right with God. It's still not enough. Not only are your own efforts completely and totally useless, but if you harness all of the known power that we know in this world and in this universe and you harness it to bring one person to be right with God, it's not enough. Because what does it require? It requires the exceeding greatness of God's power. The universe doesn't harness enough power or energy to make that happen, but only through the working of God's miraculous hand in order for us to be raised from the dead, from being dead in our trespasses, becoming alive in Christ Jesus. It only comes through the working of the mighty hand of God. His greatness of power, his exceeding greatness of power that has been exercised towards us. Though we were being dead in sin, verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. If we jump down to verse 6, it says, And raised us up together to be made, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know that very self-same power that God used and he exercised to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is that same self-power that he has used and exercises to everyone who believes when they pass from death unto life. That same power God was so gracious to offer to you. And every time someone comes to know Christ as their Savior, the exceeding greatness of the power of God comes down on that person's soul and it saves them and brings them from death unto life. The exceeding greatness of the power of God. And God is so gracious to exercise that power towards us who believe. I mean, think about it. Where else are you going to find that? Where else is that going to come from? Only from the very miraculous working of the hand of God in our lives. Verse 5 tells us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But we're also told in verse 6 that we were raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
What we see is what happened to Jesus Christ is that he was raised from the dead. The exceeding greatness of power delivered him from the grave. The exceeding greatness of God's power exalted him to the very throne of God. And we see here that we ourselves, by that self-same power, have been redeemed and been brought from death to life. And we also see in verse 6 that we have also been exalted together with Christ as co-heirs to the throne. As, co as to have a co-inheritance, as an ambassador for Christ, we have been given that position with Jesus Christ. We have been exalted by that, and the very power of the exceeding greatness of God is what has put us there. So, has, so let me ask you the question, has the very power of God been manifested in your life? Do we have an understanding of that? And I just think, I mean, yes, we, we do claim that salvation, but I think if we really were like what Paul was saying here, if the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened to what is that exceeding greatness of God's power that he has towards his believers, I believe we'd be different people. We'd be changed people. We would walk around confident in who we know as our Savior because we understand that we have that exceeding greatness of power that God gives to those who believe. What a great power that he has exercised and so gracious to do that for us. It's only by God's grace that we are actually able to experience the exceeding greatness of God's power through the redemption that Jesus Christ is offering through the cross. And what we see here and also as we continue reading in these very familiar verses that come up, and in verse 7, it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you, have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is where we have to have an understanding. And this is where we really need to have the eyes of our understanding being enlightened to what is the exceeding greatness of the power of God. In verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship. We are the work of his hands. We are the product of the exceeding greatness of the power of God in our lives. We are his created, um, uh, we are his creation. It is his workmanship that created us in Christ Jesus for good works. That he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, isn't the power of God an amazing thing? Aren't you so thankful that he was willing to do it? Can you have an understanding that there's no way possible that you could have done this on your own? That kind of really kind of makes you feel small, doesn't it? Yes. And how insignificant our efforts could it actually be to we actually think that we can be good enough to offset our bad and be right with God? Oh, no. You don't have enough power. Only by the power of God can we be right with him. Only by the power of God can we, be, can we come from death unto life. And only by the power of God are we going to be exalted to be co-heirs to the throne with Jesus Christ. Only by the power. Isn't that an amazing power? Are y'all getting excited about this? This is an amazing thing. The, ex the extreme level the the, of the power that God has ever exercised has been delivered to your soul. That's an amazing thing. That's, an, that's a great amazing thing. And the fact that God loves us and is gracious enough to exercise that towards us, I can't see why. I'm very thankful. Very thankful. But it goes on to say in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? Well, for good works. Well, for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? He's made a list of things for us to do, correct? He's given us a to-do list 
He's got a perfect will and purpose for your life as you're here. It's been, it's been planned out from the very beginning. He has a direction. He has a path that he wants you to walk. My question is, do you think that he is making that path based on the abilities that you have? I think the fact that he's willing to exercise the exceeding greatness of his power to those who believe, he is actually making a path and making a plan out that is based on the power that he has, not what we can conjure up. So I might, it might, I might even go as far to say, well, it might be impossible for you to do what God has called you to do without the exceeding greatness of the power of God within your life. But as he sets you up for failure, or is that power really available? It's a good question, isn't it? Is that exceeding greatness of the power of God available? Or does he just leave it with us once we've been saved and we've been exalted? Does he just leave us alone? Or has he given us something that will empower us to do the will of the Father? If we go back to Ephesians chapter 1 again, starting in verse 13. I lost my place in my notes. All right, here we go. Before we get there, what we, have to un what we did understand, what we've got to let sink in before we get to this point, what we have to let sink in is that the divine power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him is that very self-same power that has brought us from death into life, forgiven us of our sins, and given us an eternal home, and has exalted us with Jesus Christ. We are his workmanship, there's no question. And in, every con and, in, and in every conversion, the exceeding greatness of God's power has been manifested on those who believe. But you also have an understanding that whenever we deliver the gospel, what is it that we're delivering? God's power. God's power. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are delivering the very exceeding greatness of God's power to someone if they believe. We're giving them an opportunity to know a greater power than they could possibly even imagine and to have their sins forgiven. Listen to what Paul, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 in verse 16. He said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, but why? Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? As he continues going on, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for who believes. It's power. There's power in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're giving them an opportunity to experience that exceeding greatness of the power of God when they believe. So therefore, we shouldn't be ashamed to do such a thing. We should be willing to spread this around to the lost and dying world who needs it so desperately. But do we actually have the power to do that? Do we actually have the ability to live godly lives amongst us or does God leave us alone? Well, I want you to understand that upon our salvation, we are given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that will empower us. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, look at what it says here. It says, In whom you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which is the power of God, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with what power? The exceeding greatness of God's power. You've been sealed. Think about it this way. As a security of the believer, we have to understand 
that if it, if it was the exceeding greatness of God's power that was exercised on us to pass from death unto life, guess what it's going to require in order for you to be knocked back down? An even greater power than that. Is that possible? No. No, it's not possible. Because whenever God saved you, that very self-same power is the power that keeps you saved. And the only thing that can ever overcome that is a greater power than the exceeding greatness of God's power to which there is no such thing at all. So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In verse 14, it says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Do you understand what that means? That is a guarantee. You are getting a deed to your inheritance, as, as it goes on to say, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, this is not just a down payment. This is not just a, just, a, um, just, a, just a handshake deal and saying, look, I will deliver this to you. No, the Holy Spirit of promise, being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, he is that guarantee we have been given the deed to our inheritance until the day of the redemption of the fully purchased possession been paid in full. The exceeding greatness of God has done its work. And we are sealed with that Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Okay, we're sealed with it, yes. And upon receiving the Holy Spirit and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, we understand that we are sealed with that promise. We've been given a deed to our inheritance, a guarantee of what, we, of what is to come and those things that are promised by Jesus Christ upon our death or upon his second coming. We are guaranteed with those things and it is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But also the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen us. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, what do we find? It says that we would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes, the Holy Spirit is God. Does the Holy Spirit have the have the possession of the exceeding greatness of God. Absolutely. So what are the limits of the strength that the Holy Spirit can give to you? Yeah. We are here to be, he is here to strengthen the inner, inner man. And as I was talking about earlier, you know, whenever it comes to God putting out those good works and putting out a path for us, I clearly believe it's not based on the ability that we have. It's not based on the power that we are able to exercise. But I truly believe that whenever God lays a plan out for you, it's going to be based on what he can do through you, not what you can do on your own. And I'm going to tell you, and whenever it comes to doing that, God can do some really big things, can he not? God can do far above anything that we could even possibly think or imagine in our day-to-day -day lives through his power, through his strength. Now, if we drop down to verse 20, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it tells us this. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to what? His power. To the power that he works in us. How much power can you imagine? How I many of you have a really good imagination? And you can imagine some really big things. Well, listen to what it says here. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could even ask, imagine, or even think according to the power that works in us. The very power of God to those who believe is available to those who have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. 
Whatever God has called you to, he's going to give you the strength to carry out. Whatever God is leading you down, the path that he's given you there, he has given you the power that within you that is exceedingly and abundantly above anything that you could even think or imagine. So you may be looking at a task that God has led you to, and you may say, look, there's no way that I could possibly do it. Well, you're in a good spot because he's not asking you to do it on your own. He's not asking you to do it without the power that he is going to work inside you. The Holy Spirit gives us the access to the exceeding greatness of the very power of God in our day-to-day -day lives. He has given it to us. It says, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Not only with that power that's beyond our comprehension, but also the Spirit enabled us to produce the fruits of the Spirit through the obedience to his word, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which there is no law. Though it gives us the ability to do those things and to produce that fruit. But it's only through the Holy Spirit and the power and the, and the, and the following of the leadership of the Spirit will we be able to produce those. And then one last thing as we're talking about the power of God. As we continue in the book of Ephesians, going to Ephesians chapter 6, what do we see here? Very famous. The armor of God, correct? So not only by the, by the Spirit, the, the living Spirit that has sealed us until the day of redemption to, of the purchased possession, but we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, but we also are told about the armor of God here. Obviously, it's not a physical armor. It's not made of steel. It's not made of iron or bronze. But this is a metaphorical armor that we are to don as a Christian, as a child of God, in order to live a victorious life in the life that we're living. In order to really, I guess, gain access to this power that is being offered to us graciously by the love of God. And in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. Right? Whenever God's sending us off into battle, he's not... He's not requiring us to do it in our own strength. He's saying, look, I want you to be strong in the Lord. I want you to be strong in the power of his might. Therefore, in verse 11, you must put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I want you to understand, if you're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil, you better have on some armor. If you're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil without it, you're going to lose. He's much better at this. He's been doing this a lot longer than you have. He's tripped up many people way better than me. So whenever it comes to facing Satan and going toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, I don't want to do it alone because I know I'm in a losing battle already. I need the exceeding greatness of God's power to me, a believer in Christ, in order to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil. But whenever I do stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil, with the whole armor of God, will I be victorious? Yeah, I believe so. I don't believe that God ever sets us up to lose a fight. I believe that if we will follow him and do as, as the word tells us to, that we can be victorious. That Satan doesn't have a chance because Satan is a created being from God himself. He was made by a very limited amount of power when he was created. And God, God is a possessor of all powerful. He is an all powerful God and Satan is defeated whenever we will follow what Christ has done, when we will put on the whole armor of God. And we need to understand that we need this armor of God for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Yes, it comes in that form many, many times, more often than not, where we are fighting people who are, who are attacking the very word of God and the principles of the word.
God and the ideology of Christianity, but they have to understand that those people are the ones who are being held captive by the lies that Satan is, being put, is, is making them believe. They're not the enemy. They're just powered by him. And they're the ones who need deliverance. So you have to understand, you have to look past the flesh and blood, and you must understand that we are not wrestling against that, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, wickedness, and heavenly places. Therefore, because that is our enemy, you must take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Oh, if our eyes of our understanding could be enlightened to the exceeding greatness of his power that he has towards believers, how much stronger do you think that you would be willing to stand? How much stronger? If we had to realize, if we understood, I mean, think about this. But Paul is encouraging them to have their eyes of their understanding to be enlightened to this truth. If we had a true understanding and we were truly enlightened by the amount of power that God is going to exercise towards those who believe in our day-to-day -day lives, how much more confident could we stand before the world? I believe that this is a truth that Satan does not want you to know. I believe this is a truth that Satan has maybe blinded the eyes of us, and hopefully today we've been able to reveal and pull back and just gain a little bit more understanding of the exceeding greatness of the power of God that he has towards his believers. We have limitless power in our access. So what does this tell us? Whenever he says, finally, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's, there's two things, two things that we can understand here. One, there's an armor, right? And two, it's available. You have the armor and it is available. We have access to this as the very children of God who have been passed from death unto life and been exalted to the right hand of the Father, to sit in high places with Jesus Christ. He's saying we have the ability and the, and the availability to the very power of God when we're willing to don the very armor of God. It says, therefore, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your you're, um, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. We have access to all of those things, do we not? Yes. And I believe whenever we put this on, we're able to do what Paul is exhorting his readers to do here. Finally, brethren, must my, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. When we go to the Lord, strapped on, strapped up and ready to go, we go in the very power of an almighty God who is willing and ready to exercise the exceeding greatness of his power to those who believe. Oh, if the eyes of our understanding could be enlightened to what is that greatness, to what is the exceeding greatness of the power of God to those of us who believe. I think what we need to do today, as we prepare for a time of invitation today, what we need to understand is that we need to really appreciate the exceeding greatness of this power. We really need to understand the position in which we were. We need to understand the exceeding greatness of the power that raised us from the dead and brought us eternal life. That exceeding greatness of the power. And I don't think that we'll really understand or appreciate the exceeding greatness of the power that brought us life until we truly understand the magnitude of the sin debt that required the exceeding greatness of God's work. 
Our sin debt required the effort of the greatest power that this universe has ever seen or ever will see. And it required the exceeding greatness of the power of God to come in order for us to be redeemed in raising Jesus Christ from the dead as well as bringing us from death and granting us eternal life. We really need to really appreciate the fact that God has exercised that exceeding greatness in our lives and our salvation, but also the fact that he is willing and ready. The Bible tells us that he is searching to and fro, seeking, whom those, seeking those in whom he can show himself strong. He doesn't care if you're weak. You might be weak. You might think that you're worthless. And some of you, you might be. Right? But however, if the exceeding greatness of the very power of God is upon your life, we're going in his strength, not our own. We want to be strong in the power of God's might. To be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. I'm going to ask a question this morning. How many of you today are in need of the very power of God in your life? How many of you are in need? Where you need God's working hand. You may, see, you may see in your life that you're facing something that's far bigger than you could probably ever imagine and you feel completely and totally defeated. But I want you to understand that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened to what is that exceeding greatness of the power of God towards us who believe. The power of God is available in your life. And whatever it might be, you might be having trouble with your children, relationships. You might be in a slump in your spiritual growth. You may be overtaken with fear and anxiety. Well, guess what? You need to have your eyes of your understanding enlightened to what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. We don't have to be defeated. No, we have the very power of God that has raised us from the dead, has exalted us to the right hand of the throne of God, and has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do in this life. We don't have to be defeated, do we? How much more confident do you think that we need to stand before man and in this world in order to do what God has called us to do? I'll be, I'll be completely and totally honest with you. We don't have any excuses to not do it, do we? No. We have no excuses. Why not? Because now, this morning... The eyes of your understanding have been enlightened to the exceeding greatness of his power that he has towards us who believe. If you need the power of God, let's pray and let's ask him. Let's ask for his help. Let's be disciplined to put on the whole armor of God and that we may be able to stand in the last days. We may be able to stand. In verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day when having done all, when you've done everything you possibly could do to stand, because of the exceeding greatness of the power of God towards us who believe, you can keep standing. Let's stand. Let's have a word of prayer and a hymn of invitation. Father, we just want to thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for the word of God. God, we are so humbled at the very fact that you have extended your grace in the form of the exceeding greatness of your power for all who believe. Father, if I pray that there's someone here today that needs that power in their lives, Father, they will submit their lives to you and have an understanding that they're not alone in this world, but yet the exceeding greatness of your power is available. Father, may we see who you are and have a greater understanding of what you can do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.